0: seems to be some underlying oneness or coherence between all things and the the this idea that contention is actually necessary to compose a static structure there needs to be some dynamic tension to make something real and this that implies uh, limitation in a way too which we can get you know, that, that gets into the Peterson thing of like, what is the limitless lack is limitation, which is like necessary to have a story. If you don't have a limitation of some sort, there's no story effectively. And we can't even comprehend something that's, that's without a story. So in this, this idea of contention necessary to compose a static structure, I've been doing this uh, workout with this, this guy, and it's called functional patterns fitness. And he describes how, the body itself actually the uprise the upright stance and our ability to move is purely because we have this dynamic tension in the body we have like this myofascial webbing that like binds the whole skeleton together but the skeleton's also pushing out you know with equal force and so it's this pulling in and pushing out force this dynamic balance between them that lets us move right and so i'm reminded here second law of thermodynamics whole universe is tending towards greater entropy. Life is the only anti-entropic force, right? It's the clock that's running up, whereas everything else is running down. And so this is it's like it's everywhere right? It's predator and prey dynamics. you know you have population growing, you have predators eating it. Uh, the confluence of those two factors sharpens evolution, right sharpens fitness over time. you have supply and demand sharpening itself in the price. Um, and I wonder if, if that doesn't get into good and evil. You know, we talk about good being this ultimate generator or generative force, but the evil seems to be something that that is also generated from good to test its integrity, right? It's like the good is spinning up things. Uh, I guess because... So the good is constructive and generative, but it doesn't know how well its constructions will survive the test of time, if you will, especially against intentional uh, sabotage and malfeasance. So the evil exists to sharpen the integrity of the good. What we perceive as evil
1: is when the inertia of that static pattern becomes prohibitive towards further dynamic movement forward up the moral uh, hierarchy. So let's take for example the idea of of, of a of, of a of a sin such as the idea of a vice of having too much sex, for example, you know like just wanting to have sex with everything so that would be at the social level the the Bible would say that you know to that you to that you shouldn't be having affairs basically right now let's say that let's say that 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 moral claim is completely contextual because let's just say for example that there was a natural catastrophe and the tribe had been absolutely destroyed and there was like only a few bodies left then there would be an imperative to effectively repopulate and therefore it would suddenly become a moral good to repopulate society and have as much sex as possible to to bring society back to a point where you would need social rules so if you've only got you know two people then the idea of social rules don't make any sense because social rules, i.e. the rules that dictate what a sin is, what evil is, well, those scenarios in which evil could be experienced or quote-unquote evil wouldn't exist until you've actually got a social uh, group with which those rules would be applicable. So, you know, so what I'm saying by this is that the act of having sex uh, indiscriminately is immoral when you've got a stable social set of patterns, mm. but it's not immoral when you haven't yet built a large enough society to have stable uh, social patterns. Mm. Because you first need to create the society, and that means you need to populate and, and have enough biological entities to make up the social you know, uh, right, right, the social right. system. Yeah. So in that sense, there is moral relativism, but it isn't random and it isn't arbitrary. It is
0: it is governed by the movement towards uh yeah yeah a
1: moral ruling that we're discovering
0: along the way. So it's not it's not moral relativism per se. Morality has this direction. It has Um, a compass. Yeah. But it's it is adaptive. There's moral adaptivity, I guess you would say. Where morality under one set of circumstances it'd be moral to have a ton of sex, but after you've the reason it was the, the reason you were it was moral to have a ton of sex was to create this layer, this social layer. Which once you're living in and operating under those circumstances, uh, different morality emerges more sophisticated morality. Actually, you become yeah. more civilized, yeah. far more sophisticated. You become more like think- one organism, by the way. This is interesting too, as you move away from, but this is dangerous here because you move away from functions that maybe just serve your immediate ego and start to behave. In ways that serve the broader population, but here's where it gets very dangerous and murky: is when we then identify the group as more important than the individual, then the whole thing breaks down again. That's totalitarianism. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think
1: that's where the the symbol of Christ on the cross is is so emblematic of yes. let's say the the paradox of of conscious existence at the human stage of evolution yes. because we think about the cross as a representation you've got the feet of man nailed to the cross below him which is like the inorganic forces that keep him tied to the ground you've got the left arm nailed to the cross which is your responsibility towards your yourself uh, you know your own drives. You've got your right hand to the cross, which is the responsibility towards the group, mm. and then your, the head is is you know, ideally looking towards the heavens, which mm. is where you get the, the intellectual idea of solving the paradox between those three. So, mm. the more complex the moral systems get, the more you need a ledger of guidance to give you a, a, an orientation to keep moving in a certain direction, right. which is what the Bible is the Bible is an attempt to codify uh, codify the previously pragmatic rules of engagement for the social group to that stage in its evolution, codify them so as to avoid making mistakes that, that could uh, destabilize the social organism, and with the stability that that gives you, being able to pursue further freedom towards more complex morality. The idea that man is born free but is everywhere in chains was never true. There are no chains more vicious than the chains of biological necessity into which every child is born. Society exists primarily to free people from these biological chains. It has done that job so stunningly well, intellectuals forget the fact and turn upon society with a shameful ingratitude for what society has done. Today, we are living in an intellectual and technological paradise and a moral and social nightmare because the intellectual level of evolution in its struggle to become free of the social level has ignored the social level's role in keeping the biological level under control. Intellectuals have failed to understand the ocean of biological quality that is constantly being suppressed by social order. Biological quality is necessary to the survival of life, but when it threatens to dominate and destroy a society, biological quality becomes evil itself the, quote, great Satan of 20th century Western culture. One reason why fundamentalist Muslim cultures have become so fanatic in their hatred of the West is that it has released the biological forces of evil that Islam has fought for centuries to control. What the metaphysics of quality indicates is that the 20th century intellectual faith in man's basic goodness, as spontaneous and natural, is disastrously naive. The ideal of a harmonious society in which everyone without coercion cooperates happily with everyone else for the mutual good of all is a devastating fiction. It isn't consistent with scientific fact. Studies of bones left by the cavemen indicate that cannibalism, not cooperation, was a pre-society norm. Primitive tribes, such as the American Indians, have no record of sweetness and cooperation with other tribes. They ambushed them, tortured them, Dash their children's brains out on rocks. If man is basically good, then maybe it is man's basic goodness which invented social institutions to repress this kind of biological savagery in the first place. Suddenly, we have come full circle at the American culture's founders, the Puritans, and their overwhelming concern with, quote, original sin and release from it. The mythology by which they explained this original sin seems no longer useful in a scientific world. When we look at the things in their contemporary society they identified with this original sin, we see something remarkable drinking, dancing, sex, playing the fiddle, gambling, idleness. These are biological pleasures. Early Puritan morals were largely a suppression of biological quality. In the metaphysics of quality, the old Puritan dogma is gone, but its practical moral pronouncements are explained in a way that makes sense.
0: So there's this. Again, we're back to this dynamic tension necessary to bootstrap, really to make anything exist, but then to bootstrap it into a higher level. And so with human beings, we have this dynamic tension between the individual and the group. But the Christ consciousness is an archetype of the individual setting their moral aim as high as possible, right? Love, you know, love thy neighbor, love one another as you would love God and tell the truth, kind of being the, the core pieces there. And um, that, by setting the individual aim high, it actually it lets you create a more cohesive group. And this is not just, uh, you know, oh, let's try to act like Christ and we'll all get along better. This is actually the premise of private property rights. The fact that we we do honor the sovereignty of the individual above the state, you know, and then we, we, you know, due process, habeas corpus, uh, innocent until proven guilty. All of these Judeo-Christian principles implemented in our socioeconomic fabric is what makes capitalism possible.
1: Okay. Well, okay. So let, let's take that idea of private property rights, and then let's connect it with what the Bible Let's let's subtract how the Bible is perceived in the modern world as being a authoritarian rule book of government, which is how people see it through the lens of the church, which is a fair interpretation given that the church itself has ossified into a self-serving institution. Yes, and if we take away that that, that lens, and then we then say that the Bible is a not a rule book; it's a guidebook of self-governance as in it's a rule book through which you can autonomously decide your individual behavior in the marketplace of social action, then what that gets us back to is the idea that the individual, the sovereign individual, mm-hmm. is the center of all decision making. Yes. And, and that society itself is an abstraction. There is no such thing as society That's as right. a physical that's being. exactly right. It's the it's the emergent property of individuals, sovereign individuals. Yes. But the other feature of that is that the the intellectual, let's say neocortex, the prefrontal cortex capacity to be self-aware, to be reflective of your own desires as well as the groups, which is the the point of the neocortex, is to make plans and decision making um based upon awareness of both the paradox of what the group needs versus what you want as an individual. Yes. Well, that, that neocortex, which is part of pierce's intellectual quality uh, pillar, is above the social organism. Mm-hmm. And like he says, no individual, unless they are a direct threat to the entire society, uh, should be ever put to death because the, they are the potential originators of ideas that could shape the cultural framework. Because like he, he, he describes with the Zuni, yeah the zuni is 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 dangerous and insane to the priests of the culture that does not yes. mean that he's uh insane crazy and dangerous to the culture itself as yes. into the, the the community
0: this is where i, I think we got to pause and clarify actually so it's if society does not exist other than as an emergent property of the individual how can we say that then The individual ever poses a direct threat to society i think this is where this is something that government sees on to that's artificial you know it's like oh these people are threatening our democracy it's like no i think the the teaching of christ is like you have to always honor did an individual wrong an individual you know it's not did an individual wrong society um
1: well i think when when we talk about the idea of authoritarian governments what what there there are they're a they're a sheep uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing in some sense because what what what's actually what, what let's break it down in the metaphysics of quality what's happening with an authoritarian totalitarian state that is when the totalitarian state that that one of the big problems is when we gave corporations and abstractions. Effectively, private property rights. When we started to treat them as individuals,
0: yeah, 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 we're assigning sentience to legal abstractions.
1: So that's what happens with totalitarian states: is that they personify the state itself as they embody it as a leader, or you know, the great leader, or as a person, and they start to attribute or bolt on artificially the attributes of individual personality and uh empathy and uh and let's say intent to the abstraction of society and that in itself I think is what creates totalitarian states because they start to assume that society itself is a top is a top-down entity when it when it actually is a bottom-up emergent property. They try to freeze the social system into an entity.
0: <coughs> that, exactly so I think we're hitting it here now. So emergent properties themselves of which society is one, they are expressions of dynamic quality, right? L- literally, we, it, it, it defies our static categorization. We're saying one plus one equals three, literally in an emergent property. Society is an emergent property of individual interactions. When we personify the emergent property of society, right? And we say society, oh, you're wronging society. Or we try to look at society as some static aggregate that we can identify, personify, even deify. We're now identifying an emergent property, which is an expression of, of dynamic quality as a static pattern. And that's the, that's the fuck up, right? That's where, yes, that's that's the where fuck it all up. breaks down.
1: That's that. And then now, now let's go further and say that what is in the context of The metaphysics of quality, what is a sovereign individual? They are the portal through which dynamic quality can express itself. And there are three, there are 7 billion portals of potential dynamic quality that can come through from heaven right now. And what the totalitarian state attempts to do is to make a static aggregate of the emergent property in order to suppress the dynamic expression of the very entities that brought social abstraction into being. And and, and that would effectively be a, it's a schism, and it's 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 a it's a paradox, and it goes back to our idea of the cancer, because when the tumor believes that it is the organism that it's feeding off of, mm. it kills the organism through which it is created, and if the mm-hmm. static system uh, nullifies and destroys the biological, uh, and I don't even want to use the word entities because. You know, Metaphysics of Quality effectively states that our language is a byproduct of subject-object metaphysics, where we, yes. we took the idea of substance and imbued it with consciousness. Yeah. And that's just not true. All human beings are dynamics, uh, let's say, portals, or no, not even that. We, there, there needs to be a terminology for it. They are, the, they are the, the combination of static patterns through which dynamic quality can build from. Or, or find its its opening through to express new ideas that that enhance the world.
0: Yeah, we're, we're markets of value, right?
1: We're markets of value inside markets of value inside yeah, bigger so markets the, the, of value.
0: There's this the the distinguishing property of life is there's whatever this dynamic quality is. This thing you can't put words around. It's propagating through us, right? So we have there's a contention between the dynamic constant of uh, flow of entropy or energy or whatever it is into existence but yeah. there the it's it's juxtaposed against the static patterns that it leaves in its wake that we are and this is what distinguishes that's what we have that's that is the portal you're describing is that we have a choice of how to direct the flow of that dynamic energy right one one way or another and that's what distinguishes us as Organic life versus inorganic patterns.
1: Yep, and 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 then that could be could go on to say that the sovereign individual is is effectively the portal through which dynamic quality can express itself, and bring that quality into the the static realm, which is let's say Earth. Which would mean that dynamic quality is the kingdom of heaven, static quality is is here on Earth, and that the idea of the Son of God here on Earth is effectively every conscious being is the Son of God. Yes. Uh, that that is that is you know. A, a a portal through which the 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 values of heaven can be expressed here in the 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 realm of the you know our realm as it I, were.
0: I think it was uh, I don't know maybe Solzhenitsyn said every man is the center of the universe. Something like like every consciousness is a is a center of the universe. I think is how it was put. So there's this and again talk about decentralization. That's why we try to build decentralized systems because it maps, it is at a higher resolution to the reality of individuals being the seat of consciousness. And as we talked about last week, and I think I texted you about, there's a connection here between resolution and quality, right? Like the more decentralized, the more pixelated, the higher resolution are mapping, the, our, the mapping of our system to pure dynamic quality, the more uh, excellent or or higher quality it is. And I got this inspiration from the the silliest thing was the YouTube video. You know, you click quality as an option and it's you're choosing 1080p 720p. It's the actual, the pixelation and the resolution of the video comes through at a higher quality. It's not just a figurative thing. It's we're actually trying to map the resolution of our static systems onto pure dynamic quality. And that is how we, judge the quality of a system yeah yeah and it it, it brings to mind i
1: forget which book i read it in but to to mirror what you just said it's like when you when you have a an aquarium um and you you've only got one window looking into it that's one thing but then if, if you've got an aquarium and you can move around it then you can effectively see the uh Everything inside the aquarium, like behind a rock or, you know, from every, if you can look at it from every perspective, then you've got a, f- a full understanding of the yes. contents of the aquarium. So going back to decentralized um, consciousness, decentralized consciousness would effectively be having cameras at every angle of looking into the aquarium yes. to, to see everything that's happening. Yes. Whereas, whereas a top-down centralized system, which is totalitarian, would would attempt to see everything but it would effectively still have its blinkers on as it looks through one fixed perspective and that would of course mean that it couldn't articulate the
0: needs of the market because it can't see all the needs of the market this is fucking brilliant i love this rabbit trail so the then we could say that a higher quality system by definition is going to be one that assimilates the maximum number of viewpoints or perspectives And if we apply this to free market versus a centrally planned market, that is exactly what a freely discovered price signal does, right? It's everyone operating on one price signal, trading against it, modifying it. And that signal propagates back into the minds of all market actors, maximally distributed computing system for allocating resources and capital versus the central planning model where it's a few guys deciding what to do with all the capital at the expense of everyone else. This is the right way to describe it. I think through the metaphysics of quality lens is that we're trying to map our socioeconomic systems onto the purely dynamic willpower of the collective, right? So again, 8 billion portals of consciousness or logos expressing their intentions and demands into the world right against a finite supply of capital and so a something like pure capitalism in its truest sense that's the highest resolution model to put on top of that right so it's like we're trying to fit the static structure as close as we can to the dynamic structure and the, the closer that the congruence of the two, the better the result in terms of wealth creation, whereas a totalitarian system is one that instead, it's a low, totalitarianism is a low resolution socioeconomic system, whereas capitalism is a high resolution socioeconomic system. Therefore, totalitarianism is low quality, capitalism is high quality. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah and if we if we take the idea with that principle in mind that a, hu- a human being is a the, the sovereign individual of a human being is let's say not the source but the portal through which dynamic quality can emerge then any socioeconomic system that is that is by definition organized to facilitate the maximum amount of uh, portals simultaneously communicating with a clear signal is going to be the moral, morally superior entity. Yes. So with that in mind, I just want to read a section here, which is actually from chapter 12, but it it, it speaks to what we've been talking about in such a perfect way. Uh, When it, especially when it comes to the idea of why social systems, totalitarian social systems that try to personify themselves are immoral because they're actually a wolf in sheep's clothing. They're they're pretending they're cloaking themselves Mm as the, in the form of what, Uh, of, of what makes them up you know they're an emergent property but they try and pass themselves off as something else a human being is a collection of ideas and these ideas take a moral precedence over a society ideas are patterns of value they are at a higher level of evolution than social patterns of value just as it is moral for a doctor to kill a germ than a patient so it is more moral for an idea to kill a society than it is for a society, society to kill an idea. And beyond that is an even more compelling reason. Societies and thoughts and principles themselves are no more than sets of static patterns. These patterns can't by themselves perceive or adjust to dynamic quality. Only a living being can do that. Right. The strongest moral argument against capital punishment is that it weakens a society's dynamic capability, its capability for change and evolution. What was emerging was that the static patterns that hold one level of organization together are often the same patterns that another level of organization must fight to maintain its own existence. Morality is not a simple set of rules. It's a very complex struggle of conflicting patterns of values. This conflict is the residue of evolution As new patterns evolve, they come into conflict with old ones. Each stage of evolution creates in its wake a wash of problems. It's out of this struggle between conflicting static patterns that the concepts of good and evil arise. Thus, the evil of disease, which the doctor is absolutely morally committed to stop, is not an evil at all within the germ's lower static pattern of morality. The germ is making a moral effort to stave off its own destruction by lower-level inorganic forces of evil.
0: or a company looking to white label your own Bitcoin product or service, consider NIDIG your single source solution for everything Bitcoin. (laughs) I originally viewed these layers um, as, I guess, totalizing in a way that you had the inorganic layer that then punched through to the biological and then punched through to the social and then punched through to the intellectual and that good was anything that contributed towards that punching through and evil was anything that contributed to the retrogression. But where I got confused there was that would seem to indicate that society, which is a higher layer of transgressing against the individual, which is a lower layer would be acceptable. But as we've laid out here, society is just this fiction effectively um and yes. the, the, the individual is the perfect word yeah the individual is actually the elementary particle of the layer so i don't know that help me with this it seems like maybe the biological and the social can be combined in some way where they're well go finish that well thought. i'm just so... I, i'm just i don't want the the I feel like totalitarians could seize onto this too and be like, "Well, yeah, see, society occasionally to preserve itself needs to squash the rights of the individual, whether it's capital punishment or internment camps or whatever it may be." Um, So I'm trying to identify where a person is saying that that would this it is not morally justified for society to transgress against the individual. Um, But I'm trying to understand how that fits into this framework of layering where it's a typically okay for an idea to kill society, right? So is it okay for society to kill an individual? The ideal of say, for example,
1: individual rights, which would come back into the realm of property rights Mm. is, you know, he, he explains that the term that's in, I think the American Declaration, like the the what's it called, the um, Declaration of Independence. Yes. Uh, that the one of the writers, one of the your your founding fathers says that it it is seen as self evident that every man is created equal. Yes. And Piercy goes on to explain that it's not self evident at all. Actually, the creation of that self evidence was retroactive because before that it was self evident that no man was equal because. You know, for hundreds of years, it was, it was seen as absolutely culturally normal to enslave individuals, you know, and make them work for you. Yeah. So actually, it was a dynamic step forward towards an ideal that created the idea of individual rights, which yes. means that private property is a, is, is a creation of higher levels of morality. Yes. They're exchanging between each other because we, in some sense, the biological had to create the social rules, which are susceptible to totalitarianism. But then in the creation of the higher ideals, we came up with, a, let's say, a patch, you know, like a software patch that could then go back and say to the social rules, no, 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 we've got this new patch, which means you cannot, um, you know, biological created the social rules, uh, let's say, in much the same way that Peterson discusses the wolves, that they didn't create the social rules, they embodied the social rules. Right. But yes. in the process of, of moving beyond the social level, we created ideals such as human rights and the ind- and civil rights. Yes that, that was a creation that, that that was born from the the social level, but then informs the social level. So it, it was first created by the the let's say the challenges of social organization, but then that right becomes higher than the social organization left to its own devices. So sure. you could argue that totalitarianism and authoritarianism is simply the wash the ill-educated, immoral backwash of the <laughs> right, early right, evolutionary right, 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 development right, right. of society because it
0: was actually necessary it was moral at a certain point well, well, but we've we've tra- we've moved past that now to move from say a pure caveman like <laughs> environment It was actually necessary for someone to pick up the biggest stick and say, Hey, no more violence around here in my territory (laughs) or I will kill you. Enforcement. Yeah. yeah, So that he became the enforcer or the government even. So again, there's this conformity or feedback between good and evil in a way, which is really interesting. It's like, yeah. um, Someone had to, Oh my God, it's such a mind fuck. So someone had to be a totalitarian to establish an economic enclave of peaceful trade and cooperation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then eventually uh, I guess the, the, the trade and cooperation gets to a point to where it, it, it throws off the yoke, if you will, of the totalitarian, it doesn't need the totalitarian anymore. And then at that point, totalitarian, you're calling it a software patch here. Totalitarianism actually becomes evil because it's actually trying to, yeah. to regress against the additional freedom productive peaceful trade and cooperation is created yeah
1: yep and so that's to, fucking to, crazy to, so it, it changes yeah. place good and evil almost change places in a way right uh, dynamic move forward latches and then the latch is the is the thing that holds not only stops you from falling down but it also stops you from moving up so you've got to shake off the ah. static latch this, the very latch which stops you from regressing yes. uh, downwards yes. is also the same latch which will try to stop you from moving upwards. Yes. It's, it's a necessary evil, this literally like, a necessary this evil. This
0: is like ice climbing or something where you have to plant the yeah. the thing. like It's what you use to pull up, but you also have to get it back out of the ice. To You've got to get
1: the thing out of the ice to move forward. Okay, so so here's a fascinating feature, the etymology, again, of the son of God means the birth giver of exchangeable value. Yeah. So. What what's actually happening is that when a totalitarian, when let's say a a social um, system is organised to be stable enough for let's say yes. further intellectual play to take place, the intellectual play is the birthing of the ideas that will that will actually transform the social organisation. But the irony is that you wouldn't the, the the ideas wouldn't have been born at all if it wasn't for the stability of the system, which eventually would ossify into totalitarianism, so that's I think that that speaks to the the, the narrative in the Bible of uh, like there's a prophecy that the son is going to take over the kingdom or something, and he's the king tries to have the son killed because the yes. king doesn't want doesn't want his stable understanding of the way the way things should work to be um, to be to be transformed into something new. He, he wants to maintain his power. And I think that's that's a personification of of the dynamic static relationship, because every static system believes itself to be complete, and therefore the existence of anything that threatens it becomes a um, uh, let's say a a threat that it wants to to neutralize or to control. But like you say, that that is the necessary conditions for which the, a dynamic idea is stress tested
0: we're back to this to the paradox of of it has to be that way because it's designed to prevent retrogression so if when when there's dynamism introduced to a static pattern and this gets to Persig's later point of determining whether someone is a degenerate or a savior you don't know if that dynamism is retrogressive or progressive right yeah and so that's pattern you can't kind of, you know use its cultural autoimmunity or whatever it may be to figure out. Um, that's the core problem, which he makes later. It's like, how do you separate the degenerate from the savior?
1: The mechanism through which we judge whether it's a regressive or progressive dynamic step forward is market consensus.
0: Yes. Yeah, of course. The market
1: decides yeah, whether course. the action is progressive that's aggregates or
0: aggressive. The willpower of the individual elemental participants so
1: therefore the most immoral thing that the most immoral force or or say action in the world Holy today shit. would be to prohibit or damage the the
0: activity of the market Do you know, to fix it this blows my fucking mind so it's an abomination to the lord to have dishonest weights and measures weights and measures is how the market communicates with itself if you disturb the coordinating mechanism, the money, the price, the the static organism can no longer discern degenerate from savior, right? It's a market built upon lies and the word
1: for uh, God in Sanskrit is exchange. So the tampering with the the medium of exchange is tampering with God. (laughs) Literally. So,
0: oh, this is blowing my fucking mind. Here's another thing that, this what you just said so the son of god is the birth giver of exchangeable value here's another mind fuck is that so taxation itself right so one guy picks up the biggest stick everyone here is gonna behave and you're gonna pay me a little bit of money for keeping the peace you know i'm the monopolist on violence now taxation which is tribute paying to the guy with the biggest stick or the government they contributed to the standardization of money, right? One of the reasons we standardized money was so we could systemize the tax system, the tax, the collection of taxation, that standardization of money accelerates market activity. So it actually increases the wealth produced by the market, which allows it to throw off the yoke of totalitarian static pattern at some point. So it's this coercion as a precursor to liberation, and this reminds me of the thing Nietzsche said. Something I don't know exactly what, but uh, I'll paraphrase roughly. Said that we must learn under slavery effectively before we know how to be free. So there's some training or conditioning that occurs under oppression that that programs us to understand how to be free in a way.
1: Yeah. Well, well let's let's riff on 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 uh, Nietzsche for a second. Because have you read uh, Thus Spake Zarathustra? I've only read uh, Beyond Good and Evil of Nietzsche. Uh, I've not read Beyond Good and Evil, so I don't know what the format of it is. But Thus Spake Zarathustra is more of poetry than I don't, I don't think it's not so much a philosophy book as, as a yeah. poetry book that's deeply philosophical. But the the foundation of the of the plot, as it were, is three metamorphoses, which is where the spirit starts life as as, as a spirit, but becomes embodied as a camel. Mm. And it becomes embodied as a camel. He's chosen the camel because the camel for reasons that are unknown to the camel, carries these two humps on its back. Uh. Uh, and what that represents is the social code that is given to you as a, you know, when you're young. You, you're you're mm. basically a, a carrier of a burden that you carry around. And in the book, The Three Metamorphoses, the camel then goes traipsing off into the desert, which is the camel would be the equivalent of you know, your, your midlife, you're your, in your twenties. Yep. And you go off into the desert and you're carrying this thing on your back and you don't know why. These are the rules and these are the, the the role that you've been given. These are the things that you're expected to do. And then as you go off into the desert, you transform. So think about the the uh, camel in, in the Hornevian triad sense of being the animal of compliance, mm. obedience. And then as the, the camel goes out into the desert by itself and it starts to self-reflect, it becomes aware that the hump's on its back. It doesn't know why it's carrying them. So it... it it starts to question, why am I doing these things? Why am I carrying these things? And then the the camel transforms into a lion. And the lion in Hornivian Triads is the aggressor, is, is the destructive force. Mm. And the lion, when it gets out into the desert, it comes across this dragon. And on every scale of the dragon is the words, thou shalt, which is, you should mm. do this. You should do that. Mm. You should do this. And it's the dragon, like in mythology, that holds the gold, that tells you, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And the lion does, does battle with the dragon and kills the dragon and, and, you know, destroys it. But in doing so, the lion no longer has any relevance because the, the function of the animal of the lion is to destroy the antagonist of the dragon. But once the dragon is ah. dead, the lion doesn't know what to do because all it knew was how to orient itself against the force that it saw as being in need of destruction. And at that point the lion transforms into a child and the child is the embodiment of creativity. And the point of the story that Nietzsche is saying is that all spirit is the cycle of first, you have to be a slave. Then you have to reflect on your slavery and destroy the system that enslaved you. Wow. And then in the action of doing that, you now have the, the prerequisite, uh, experience to create something superior. Yes. but but the experiences before that is the clay with which you create something superior. You can't create something out of nothing. Wow. You need to have experienced the you know the, the the camel that's slaving across the desert with you know like, yes. with um, like North uh, Whitehead yes. says a dim apprehension of right. something's not quite right. And then when you discover, well, here's what's not quite right, I'm humping this load of shit on my back, and I don't know why, and it seems immoral, then you get angry. Then you become the lion. Then you attack the thing that is is prohibiting you, yes. and in the act of destroying it, from the pieces of the destruction, you can build something new.
0: And the, and- the dragon that this is like the Peter's, Peterson would say this represents the unknown as well, right? Like you have to first, it's yeah. this process through which you're gaining knowledge of the dragon in a yeah. way that you're then saying, well, this it has all this moral code, as you said, it's wrapped in this moral code of thou shalt, but yeah. it's an in imp- it's a it's a decreasingly relevant moral code once you've gained this higher knowledge so then you kill the dragon reassemble something new from its pieces yeah and become the child but so then the um well once there's no dragon because the 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 point of
1: the lion is that it's very existence as an aggressive yes, force, yes, yes, a destructive yes, yes. force, is predicated on the existence of right. a system that it attacks. Right, 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 right. But it's lost; it's completely lost without that system. Yes. And as a human being, I mean, I've had this experience myself. You know, in 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 my work, where I I remember back a few years ago when I became highly uh, critical of the film industry and I, I began to I, I intuitively organized my professional conduct on the assumption of destroying the system. Right. So being very critical of it, but then I found myself. A loss. Oh Christ, right, what do I do right, now? Right. What do I what do I put in its place after I've just told the entire, you know, people I the system that I work in that it's bullshit? Yes. Um, this, is, you, this you're is you're only halfway through the process if you don't replace it with something better.
0: Right. You need a why to orient yourself. And this is this reminds me of I think it was William James, the American pragmatist, that talked about the moral equivalent of war. And he's basically saying that war was such a disciplinary force in the world, like it gives people something to organize themselves against, right? An enemy that we would never be rid of war until we had some moral equivalent to it. So this disciplinary force is a necessity in reality, right? And Persig later talks about gravity being kind of one of the, these universal disciplinary forces that you can in, indeed uh, qualitatively assess life as it's, diso- you know, how well it disobeys gravity effectively. And this also makes me think of what, what you're saying where you had this aim in your work. And once you achieved it, you felt a bit lost. There's this thing too, where, where wealth actually can be very corrosive to the soul. People have a harder time dealing with abundance sometimes than they do scarcity. Because when you have scarcity, you've got something, you've got a why, you've got You got something getting you out of bed every morning, something to array your action against, right? You're trying to solve scarcity. But when you have just all of this abundance and you have all of these options, but you don't really have any uh, impetus to go any certain direction, that's when you can just, uh, you know, kind of wallow and, and, um, and dissolve in a way.
1: Yeah, you drift. You drift because yeah. you've got no, you're, you're. it's like being in zero gravity. You've got nothing yes. that's attracting you. And, yes, and zero
0: gravity. Exactly. That's a brilliant how you did that analysis. Zero gravity. Literally.
1: Yeah. Zero is yeah there's no there's no compass of attraction there's no and the, there's,
0: and the only way you move in a zero gravity environment is by pulling something right some resistant static object and you pull the, you move the opposite direction from you pull so it's like whatever yeah. you're arraying against is how you go the opposite direction in a way which yeah
1: great. yeah yeah which is which is amazing as, as an embodiment of that sense of being completely you need yeah you li- quite literally you quite literally need in zero gravity you need uh going back to your um, you, what you talked about with the dynamic um, tension yes. um, you need something to push off of or to yes. pull towards and if you don't have that you are truly lost and that's I don't mean fun. that like that's a, poetically so that's how I mean that quite literally
0: work, right a rocket shoots fire you know propulsion this direction to go this direction um, I guess you could say in that in this lens Bitcoin the emergence of Bitcoin needed the central bank in a way we needed something to array this weapon against
1: Satoshi effectively left uh, a totem of what governed his let's say lion energy, which yes. was the the, the the headline of the, um, the bailout yes that was it, that could be quite literally a, a, a sort of memorial to the gut that what inspired him to start the destruction of this system yes. and he used the, he used simultaneously he was both a lion and a child because he was actually, if Bitcoin is what destroys the system, it was his creativity that created that destructive force. So yeah, without without the central bank's evil, we wouldn't have the moral righteousness of Bitcoin coming to ex- existence because we
0: wouldn't know we needed it. And then is, so in that Nietzsche progression where you the, the lion destroys the dragon and then becomes the child, is that the child now subjected to a new Higher, you know, a new uh, disciplinary force, I guess you could say. So, like, we'll throw off central banking. And, but then clearly, we're the reason we can throw off the yoke of central banking is because Bitcoin is a disciplinary force on human beings, right? It couldn't be any other way. It's not like it's, it it sounds, again, it's paradoxical because Bitcoin is such a liberating force, but it liberates us by imposing this absolute gravity like discipline. Like 21 million Bitcoin. If you lose your keys, it's gone forever. You know, there's this, there's this finality to it that's, uh, that forces, um, forces a very individualized strategy. Um, what am I trying to say? I'm just trying to say that the, there's a disciplinary force to it that, god damn it's so paradoxical because it is the discipline that gives you liberation but it's a higher resolution discipline all right well i think so bitcoin's imposing the discipline at the individual level versus a central bank trying to impose it at a society-wide level i would i would say that one of the uh, and and
1: you'll you'll understand this far better than i i do in terms of analogies to systems, but you've talked about thermodynamics and how it's a closed system and, and Bitcoin being a closed system, I think is much more meaningful than 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 maybe people think when it comes to the morality of the market. Because one of the things that people talk about is the idea that that if Bitcoin is the most valuable thing in the world, then why would the hodlers ever give it up? And therefore what's the point of it? You know, which is a completely ridiculous statement yeah. in some sense, even though that might not be self-evident immediately. It's ridiculous because in if the world moves onto a Bitcoin standard, and therefore the market is suddenly freed to pursue all sorts of yet unforeseen innovations, yes. then new things of value will be created that will uh, incentivize and create new motivations that current hodlers can't even imagine. Yes. That would would make them want to feed their energy back into that innovation. But because it's a closed system none of that innovation can be stolen by money creation which means that the the energy of exchange of of bitcoin going towards the entrepreneurs that create things and the entrepreneurs then uh, having bitcoin to themselves invest in um, other things that motivate them means that the energy runs that the energy clock runs up quicker and quicker and quicker because none of it bleeds 100 percent,
0: yes and then the other the other factor there is that um more in it, a more rapid increase these innovations that unlock value that that increase wealth that's causing increases to the purchasing power of money so the way i look at it is like there's a there's a bitcoin's kind of like a circle in a way and it's like the earlier you adopt the more purchasing power you have accrued so the greater the incentive for you to then spend it right based the proportion of how early you were to Bitcoin is in proportion to how great your incentive to spend it is. And as we know, human the human heart is insatiable. Demand never ceases. So there's there's kind of like this rotate. When people say the holders will never spend Bitcoin, it's like, that's complete bullshit. When you have a 10 million percent unrealized gain built into your position and you're filthy rich, like, of course, you're going to buy stuff. And that's how the money circulates because it's like, okay, who adds value? Who's give? and it and it when Bitcoin's at a peak point, say it's eating all the money in the world, it's only going to grow at two or three percent a year, whatever the aggregate productivity number is. Any investment you can make that will in theory outperform that, you'll want to invest in. So that there just won't be upside left.
1: Um yeah. I um, but go, going back on, because you, you started this this uh, line here with the discussion of what happens after the child, after the, the lion becomes a yes. child. Um, where does that cycle come back on itself? And I, the on, honest answer is I don't know. I'd have to reread the book and see what it, what it implies philosophically. But presumably, the act of creation creates the next thing that will eventually become, let's say, tyrannical. So yes. the child then creates something. It's a new, static pattern. It's a new yeah. static pattern. And then somewhere along the line, a new spirit comes in and becomes the camel to that static pattern. And then the cycle repeats itself. Um, the only thing that I can think of now is that we're entering a phase transition in the nature of, at this point in history, we're facing a, a phase transition towards a shift in the moral challenges that we face. Because warfare is going to be a thing of the past very soon. And then it becomes, well, what, what's going to be the nature of evil in the next uh Hundred years because yeah. it's not going to be physical pain. It's going to be, you know, is there an ending to this cycle? Is that you know does does the universe just move on indefinitely in this cycle, or is there an endpoint to the moral hierarchy? Who knows? But uh, I think Bitcoin is is fundamentally going to change the nature of what is considered base level suffering because
0: yes.
1: uh, it's going to effectively reduce all of the let's say, the the systemic causes of most of what we consider to be normal suffering these days. Poverty, disease, warfare, all of that stuff disappears under a Bitcoin standard.
0: Hey guys, I hope you found this episode valuable. At The What Is Money Show, we are striving to deliver the most valuable knowledge possible in each and every episode. However, as Aristotle said, the purpose of knowledge is action, not knowledge. So I hope you're deriving some useful knowledge from the show, and I hope it's improving the actions you are taking in your life. Speaking of action, if you want to dive deeper into the big ideas explored in this show, please sign up for my newsletter titled "The Freedom Analects" at BreedLove22.substack.com. Also. Have you bought your tickets for Bitcoin 2022 in Miami yet? If not, it's your lucky day as I am giving away 10 million sats, which is roughly 4,000 US dollars to one lucky person who buys a conference ticket through my affiliate link. My affiliate link can be found on my Twitter profile at breedlove22, which also has a link. My Twitter profile has a link to my link tree which you can also visit my link tree directly for links to all my work, including Bitcoin 2022 affiliate sales. My link tree is linktr.ee backslash readlove22. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys watching the show. I hope you're finding some valuable knowledge in the What Is Money show, and I'll see you back here again next time.